This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Thank you. What a beautiful introduction. So today is about Christmas stories. So I have a question for you. How many of you, just with a show of hands, know the basic Christmas story about, you know, Jesus and the manger, etc.? Okay, most, but not all. Either that or you're not raising your hands, but <laughs> I, I'm asking this because I was actually trying to tell my grandson a joke about Joseph and Mary are over this big crate and they're looking inside and there's the baby Jesus. And Mary says, oh, I ordered baby cheeses. <laughs> And so I tell him this joke and he looks at me totally blank. And I said, you know, Joseph and Mary and, and I said, Ooh, I'm a minister and my own grandson, age 11, has no clue. <laughs> and it's because I told him all the Santa stories and, you know, Frosty the Snowman and all of those things never mentioned probably for the reasons that i talked with rochelle about earlier about eh, i don't want to identify too much with christian but anyway so some of you don't know the basic story so good to know i'll mention that as i go along the second question though i have for you is how many of you believe the basic story happened so I've got one. <laughs> okay, so this is the thing that I really want to share with you. It's, it's pretty cool. And for those of you who like to geek out on Bible stuff, this is the book I'm using this week. You can see it all. <laughs> Anybody else? It's The First Christmas by Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan. It's really a good book. So the first thing that I want to say is that the reason that you don't believe these stories are true, if you don't believe that, is because of modern thinking. When these stories were written, everybody believed they were true. They believed they were true in terms of both they happened, and they believed they were true in terms of the meaning, and the meaning was actually what they were focusing on, not so much did it happen well duh of course it happened that was their attitude and if you think about how you were as a child when your parents told you something at least when you were a little child you didn't argue with that you believed that that was true whether it was something that was beautiful that they were telling you or magical or mean you believed it as truth because as a very young child, you don't have that ability to reason and question what is being told. So before modernity, I guess that's how you say it, um, which, you know, is probably around the 1600s, something like that, people just accepted it. And it doesn't mean that they were stupid. It was just a different culture and a different way of thinking. So they accepted that. 
along comes modern thinking and the elevation of science and reason. And then we look at these stories and the stories don't make sense. Like, really, how could that happen? And so we say to ourselves, well, then it's not true. It's just a fable. Like the talking crow in Aesop's fable or something like that. We don't believe in it. And those are our options. It was true historically, factually, it happened. If there had been a reporter back there, the reporter could have followed and seen it. Or it's not true. It's a fable, just not to be believed. And what this author, these authors present is another option, and that is that they are parables. They are parables, just like if you, you know, most people have heard of the Good Samaritan, for example. And we don't stop to say, now wait, did that actually happen? That isn't the point. The point of the story is, this is a story about someone who is caring and compassionate to a stranger who needs help. That's the point. And so there is a point to the, the Christmas stories, and it's not about did they or did they not happen. In the Bible, there are four Gospels. The first one that was written was written around the year um, 60 of the Common Era. So it's not eyewitness 60 years later after Jesus' death, or after his birth, I should say. Um, and it's written, and there's no story about his birth, none at all. Now you would think if this was a major event that it would make it into the first written account, but it did not. The next two written accounts are Matthew and Luke, and they come about around the year 70, 80, somewhere's in there. They both have a story, and I'll give you the cliff note version of them for those of you who haven't heard the story, but the stories are different. And then the last book that is written, John, which I think is around the year 90, he doesn't mention the birth either. So you've already got, without knowing any of the details, you've got some huh going on here. And in order to understand it, you have to know why were they including these stories. This, these authors talk about them as overtures. So just like in music, or in literature, you have the overture in the beginning is giving you a hint of everything that's going to happen. And then they tell the story of what happens. So in the Christmas story, if you know how to understand them, <clears throat> you're getting, <clears throat> excuse me, you're getting a overview of the whole point of the gospel. in the birth story. So in the case of the first two, those are, are the overtures. So in Matthew, 
the fast version of it is that they get, um, Joseph gets a message that his bride-to-be, who he's engaged to, is pregnant. And, but don't be afraid, it's the Holy Spirit. And you can take her for your wife. And so he listens to the dream, and he, he does. They, they get married, and now the baby is almost ready to come, and they're on the road to, let's see, no, sorry, that's the wrong story. Um, so she has the baby in the house that they live in, in Bethlehem. And the ones that come to visit are the Magi, not the kings, according to the book, it's the Magi. They come from the east to worship, but, and they follow a star, but they stop first at the um, not castle, palace. They stop at the palace of Herod, who is the ruler at that time, because they've heard about the king, and they think maybe he will know. And not only does he not know, it's like, what do you mean a king? He's now threatened. And so he says, oh, well, go and visit them. And then when you're finished, come back and tell me where they are so I can go and worship them. Read, kill. And when they don't come back, because in a dream they're told to go in a different direction, he just sends out his troops and kills all the babies in, that, in the first two years of life because, you know, it could be a rival king. So that's his story. And he's also got a genealogy in there that's quite long. Luke's story is different. In Luke's story, Mary gets a visit from the angel Gabriel who tells her, you're going to have a baby and this will be the son of God and this will be from the Holy Spirit. Are you good with that? And she says, yes, I'm your servant, whatever you want. And so, she, She's a little puzzled, though, how it can happen, and it's because of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that happens, and then she and Joseph, well, then she goes to her cousin Elizabeth because she also finds out that she's having a baby, even though she's very, very old and has never had a baby, and this is John the Baptist. So that's wonderful, wonderful, joyful. And then they go to Bethlehem because of taxes and she's riding a donkey and all the way to Bethlehem where there's no room in the inn and so they end up in a manger and have the baby there and the angels show up in the sky and announce to the shepherds what's happened. So two different stories, completely different stories. We've mashed them together and culture, and so when we have our crush, all the, all the elements are there, we sing the songs, all the elements are there, it's one story, right? And we have no idea that it's actually two different stories for two different overtures for two different points. So Matthew's point is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. The law is represented by Moses and Moses, and so Jesus is the new Moses. And so, Everything in Matthew, if you start looking at it, comes in sets of fives. In the, in the birth story, there are five dreams. It's the fulfillment of five prophecies. When he gets into his public life, he does the Sermon on the Mount, which is 
the new law being fulfilled, being given by the new Moses on the new mountain. Okay, so everything is all about showing that this is the fulfillment of the law. In Luke, he is wanting to show that Jesus is here as the fulfillment of the prophets. And so like the prophets of old, he is all about social justice. He's about the taking care of the poor and the misrepresented, honoring women. And so all of his things, so he's got the angels appearing to the shepherds. You may think of shepherds like, oh, sheep are so cute. You know, I like little lambs. Shepherds in those days were the lowest of the low. Like if you had really messed up in those days, they'd say, you can't even live with us anymore. Get out in the fields, watch the sheep. So they were, they were just the scum. And the angels of the Lord appear to the scum of the earth and give them this message that the Lord, the Savior, is here. So that's those two stories. The other thing that's going on is context. Like if I said to you, Martin Luther King was a great, great person. He made a lot of speeches. You wouldn't really get it, right? You need the context of what was going on in that time and what were the speeches that he was making. So what was going on in the time of Jesus was the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus was the current Caesar. He was the son or the adopted son of, I think it was of Julius Caesar, but so he can trace his lineage back. All those genealogies in Matthew and Luke, which are two very different genealogies, are showing that, okay, Octavius, you can, you can trace your lineage back to Aeneas. That's a whole millennium, and that's great. But Jesus, he can trace his lineage back to Isaac or to Adam, depending on which lineage genealogy you're reading. So it's all about Jesus is the real savior, not Octavius, okay? Octavius became known as Caesar Augustus. That's probably a more familiar term to you. And he became that because after like 100 years of social unrest and then 20 years of just outright war that was unceasing, Octavius won the war. And so he was the savior of the world. And in those days, you, in Roman tradition, you could be elevated to divinity, and he was elevated. And he was considered the savior of the world, and you could get deified by doing great things in that time and place. And so he was considered a god. He was considered the son of God because Julius Caesar before him, who adopted him, was already a god. So he was the son of God. He was now the savior of the world. So when you read this Christmas stories, they are really subversive stories. They are saying that, oh yeah, there is Caesar Augustus who claims to be the savior of the world, the Lord, the Son of God, but here is the true 
Son of God, here is the true Savior of the world. And so it's really setting up a contrast. Now the thing is that both the Romans and the Christians wanted the same thing. They wanted peace. You've heard, perhaps, if you remember your history, of the Pax Romana. The Romans, after the time of Caesar Augustus, had a thousand years of peace, at least from their side of the story. Mm. All, the, all the groups that they conquered and enslaved would probably not describe it as peace. Because their idea of peace was peace through victory. In Christianity, what Jesus came to say is it's peace through justice. Justice and love. That's how you get peace. So that's, that's kind of a whirlwind of the Christmas stories. And if you want a lot more detail, you can read this book. But what I want to say is let's talk about the takeaway for us spiritually is peace through justice, peace through love, rather than peace through victory. How many times in our lives, if we look at this metaphysically, who are the downtrodden that need the social justice? There's out there, and yes, we should be doing that. We should be caring for people who don't have housing. We should be caring for people who don't have funds. We should be doing those things. But within our own selves, what are the parts of each one of us that are stewing in lack, the parts that are suffering? Are we giving them love? Or are we trying to have victory over them? <laughs> are, are we saying that these parts deserve to be destroyed and we just want we just want to get rid of them I just hate that part of myself I just want to get rid of it have you ever said that you know you hate your because you're shy you hate that about yourself or you've got a big mouth and you hate that about yourself. You're bossy, or you're, you're a doormat, or whatever it might be, we all have our things. We all have our things that create suffering in our lives. It's, part, it's just part of the human program. You don't come here as perfection. Even though we think we want that, it would be boring, you know, after a few minutes of that. We are here to grow and evolve and learn how to love ourselves exactly as we are. And that is the real message of Christmas. And that is the real message of Jesus. There is nothing in here or out there that is not a candidate for love. And you find inner peace and world peace through love and taking care of one another, which is another word for justice. You don't find it through victory. War is not the answer. And that is the message of the Christmas stories.
So as you listen to them this year, know that these are sacred stories and they're beautiful. And they have lots of levels of meaning. I mean, there's more that could be said, more that I will probably say on Christmas Eve, but right now, just remember this, that these Christmas stories had a point. And the point was to say, the way of empire, the way of victory over others, is not the way. The way is caring for one another. The way is love. The way is aloha, like a beautiful song, welcoming everyone. Make a manger in your own heart for all your parts, and you will have learned the lesson of Christmas. Mm. Mm.